Hi, this is David Harewood, and you are listening to Supergirl Radio. Adventures of Supergirl comic series debuts, and we discuss Strange Visitor from Another Planet. This is Supergirl Radio. Welcome to Supergirl Radio, your source for all things related to CBS's Supergirl TV series and the character of Kara Zor-El. I'm Teresa Giacino. My name is Rebecca Johnson, and in this episode of the podcast, we're going to talk about the season one episode of the show titled Strange Visitor from Another Planet. But before we get to our discussion, we have the news. The new digital comic book series called Adventures of Supergirl, which is based on CBS's Supergirl TV show, has finally arrived. Issue number one of the series from writer Sterling Gates and artist Bengal was released this week for the great price of 99 cents. So it's very affordable. Uh, If you'd like to go check it out, you go to comicsology.com dccomics.com or either one of their apps. And you should also be able to get it uh, through Amazon for Kindle as well. People should know that if you go into the Comixology app, you can actually rate the series. So um, just like you do for Supergirl Radio, if you want to go in there and rate the issue, I think that would help Sterling and everybody associated with the comics. So if you want to go in there and rate them, I think that would be great. Oh, totally. Yeah, they need to hear from us that we actually want this stuff to be made. So if, uh, if you love the series, definitely let them know you do. Yeah, it's an easy way to give feedback very quickly. And this is a good time to mention that we at Supergirl Radio are going to cover Adventures of Supergirl with reviews and recaps in an additional episode of the podcast that will show up in our feed. So however you listen to us now, look for a second episode to appear when new issues of the comic are released. And right now we're aiming to publish these special edition episodes of Supergirl Radio on Fridays. So you should be getting the regular episode discussion on Wednesday and hopefully the adventures of supergirl on fridays so stay tuned for that well right now let's get into our discussion of the season one episode of supergirl titled strange visitor from another planet um here is the official description from cbs Kara must help hank face his painful past when a white martian a member of the alien race that wiped out his people kidnaps senator miranda crane played by tawny cypress an anti-alien politician Also, Kat's estranged son, Adam, played by Blake Jenner, uh, arrives in National City. So it's interesting that there are uh, two very important visitors in this uh, episode. One is more alien than the other, but both of them kind of leave an emotional impact. Um, Let's talk about the the main one first, uh, because this was a huge episode for Martian Manhunter. Uh, What did you think about the, the White Martian? The White Martian that they had to fight and catch was very frightening. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the way it was causing 
destruction in the like the the area where they were having the protest and the the speech and everything and even when they ended up capturing the white martian and correct me if i'm wrong we never got a name for the white martian no, it was just no. the white martian um when they captured uh him or her not real sure um yeah. at the end of the episode it was like trying to get out and bumping the doors and kind of scratching the glass. And I was like, the CGI for this is pretty good. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was actually really impressed with the way the White Martian looked. I uh, wasn't sure exactly how it would look on the show, but I, I thought it was a a good villainous, scary creature. And they did a really good job with it. Yeah, it's interesting that because um, yes, I agree. The, the effects were great for the for the White Martian in its kind of natural look, and it was huge. It was frightening. I mean, when that finger came off, you got an idea for how big this thing is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I f- actually was more frightened of the White Martian when it was uh, when it had shape shifted into the body of Senator Crane. Uh, yeah. Because um, uh, Ty- uh, Tawny Cypress, which by the way is like the coolest name. Ever, I yeah. think. Um, I'm like, that sounds like such a like soap opera model name. It's like I am Tawny Cypress, um, but uh, her performance was really, really great. And when she, uh, for example, uh, was in that form and had Alex uh, being held prisoner to kind of lure Hank out, the way she talked to her about you know being less than an insect and the way that. You know, she like it just I, I I was actually more afraid of her in her human shape than I was in the uh, the White Martian. Also, the way that like the Martian language rolled off her tongue, I thought both her and David Harewood kind of played that really really well. Which like any other actors might have made that sound kind of ridiculous because it's like a fake language, but um, they really lived in those parts and uh, and yeah, so it was just frightening all around. Yeah, they did a great job with that scene where they spoke the language. I I, I had no idea what kind of language. I guess it's a Martian language. I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> I, I guess so. But um, it sounded like a genuine thing, like a, like they were committed to speaking it. So, yeah, I, I thought that performance, uh, those performances in that scene were really great. And I like your point about how uh, Tawny Cypress as the, the senator was a little more frightening because when she was in that scene with Alex – she did say, like, well, you're just worm food. You're yeah. just you're just the things <laughs> that worms eat. Um, so, yeah, she was very good. I was actually really impressed with her because she played Senator Crane, but then she right. was also playing this white Martian. And then she had to play the white Martian shapeshifted as Senator Crane. So she had... You could maybe argue that she was playing three roles, yeah, uh, possibly. So I, I think that says so much for her as an actress that she was able to pull all of that off. Definitely, I love when when like a guest star comes on and just like wows everybody, and I, I really think that's the case here, um, especially in that scene where we as the audience don't really know yet that she is the White Martian. And once the episode reveals that that is the White Martian in disguise and she starts kind of questioning Hank about, so are there other aliens here? <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, just that actress playing the White Martian, playing Crane. And, like, you can see kind of the very subtle way that she's trying to find out where Martian Manhunter is by asking about alien spies and kind of <laughs> relating to Hank in the guise of this human who who hates aliens. So it's like, oh, well, I'm I'm in the body of this person who hates aliens. It would make sense for me to ask, hey, do you have any spies here? You should totally tell me where all the aliens are so that I know so we could do something about it. 
And it was just so just ugh, duplicitous and frightening. Just ugh. She was really smart. But one of the questions I had about the White Martians um, in general was that I thought White Martians had the same weakness as Martian Manhunter in the fact that they had problems with fire. Mm. And so when nobody ever sort of brought that up in the episode, I was a little confused. Um, Somebody can probably correct me on that, but if white Martians do have that weakness of fire, I started questioning, well, why hasn't Jean mentioned that? Why wouldn't that be what they use to bring this white Martian that has come after them down? Well, it's interesting because in, if that's the case in the, um, in the comics and, you know, I am not as familiar with Martian Manhunter, but in the show, it seems like the opposite is true because when he talks about what the white Martians did, they came up from the fire. That's what I was confused about. I was like, how, how would they use fire traps to kill all the green Martians? Um, maybe it's a thing where it's like on earth, you know, kryptonite stuff affects Kryptonians, but like on Krypton, they're fine. Like, I don't know if it's one of those things where like on Mars, maybe fire doesn't bother them, but when they come to earth, maybe it bothers. I don't know. But I was just thoroughly confused on like, I, I really enjoyed seeing the, uh, the powers and the abilities uh, visualized in this episode. I thought they did a great job of like showing Martian Manhunter, you know, linking up to the white Martian and them kind of communicating with each other and him seeing through objects and stuff like that. But I was so confused about the weakness uh, yeah. issue. Well, and, and what, what is uh, kind of confusing to me is that I'm not entirely sure if the white Martians and the green Martians are the same species or if they're completely different species, like if they're just two different sentient species from Mars, um, or if they are exactly the same and the only difference is in appearance, like the way, you know, among humans, like we're different races, but humans are all humans no matter what. Right. Um, But I don't know if like white Martians and green Martians are like the equivalent of like dogs and cats or like, you know, (laughs) uh, trees and flowers. Like they're like, I don't know how alike they actually are. So yeah, if there are any Martian experts out there who want to uh, school us in all this, please write in and let us know. We have questions. But what I loved so much about this plot line in in the episode was the, I mean, just how heartbreaking it is for for Jean. And the flashbacks on Mars, I mean, let's talk about that because they were heartbreaking and also disturbingly beautiful to look at, I thought. What did you think? Oh, for sure. I I thought the way they handled his flashbacks and showing what happened to his people and his family, I thought were really moving and well done and really brought it brought me into the motion of what was happening and and why it would be so hard for him to think about that stuff. I I even thought it was a nice touch that when he first sees the white Martian, you get a, a really quick flashback to where he kind of has this, oh my gosh, this is what this is. Yeah. And you kind of see him sort of have that memory, even though he doesn't want to go there, he has it. Um, and I was really struck by the heavy, heavy Nazi Germany imagery uh, mm-hmm. with uh, how the green Martians were herded into these camps. Um, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was, I, I, I don't know exactly, I know we talked about Martian Manhunter in the, the Spotlight episode, we did, but I, I don't know if on the page in, in the comics they actually show this kind of thing in, in a similar fashion. But I, I thought it was really interesting because it really did um, evoke some of those 
images. And I, I've been to a Nazi co- concentration camp. I went to uh, Dachau. Oh, yeah. uh, one time I was over in Germany and, and my brother and I went over to to visit one. And it was actually really fascinating because they they have those things open to the public and and take people through them so that you see that history and, you know, don't want to repeat it, which yeah. I think is so important. And um, just the fact that, like, the the way that the Green Martians were separated, you know, the women were separated from the children. Uh, no, the women mm-hmm. and children were separated, were separated from, the from the men. Mm-hmm. And the men were forced into labor. And they, uh, Martian Manhunter even talked about um, the furnace. And that sort of reminded me mm-hmm. of those, you yeah. know, quote, showers that they would take people in into the concentration camps. Um, so I just... That really affected me because um, it, it just shows how much, you know, the, the wiping out of a whole race of people was and how easy that can be for people who are so determined and powerful and um, menacing who want to achieve that goal. They, they will do it. Um, and it's very scary. It's very frightening. But I, I thought that it really showed the heaviness of what, Jean was feeling and why it was so impactful for him. He he got really angry and yeah. he um, got to the point where, you know, we see that he wants to kill the white Martian. Mm-hmm. And I think you almost have to go to that imagery and show how absolutely um, devastating it was to show why Jean is, I mean, why it makes him like that. Mm-hmm. So I thought the flashbacks were really well done and, um, I'm glad that they they showed them in such an emotional and um, sensitive way. Definitely. I mean, I I think uh, Glenn Winter, uh, the director, said um, that, like, this episode was going to make us cry. Mm. And he was not kidding because I was, like, on the verge of tears several times during this episode. But, yeah, those flashbacks were intense. And, yeah, you're right. Obviously, there is the the Nazi Holocaust imagery. um, And it got me thinking about, like, so many other parallel situations or similar situations that we've gone through. Like, you know, even here in the United States, when the Japanese were put into camps Mm, uh, during World War II, um, you've got camps in in Greece right now. Uh, They're putting, um, quote, undesirables into camps. Like, Mm. it's it's stuff that that has happened in our past and is happening currently. And I love when – this is what I love about genre fiction, where you can, like, examine this kind of thing through the prism of, like, aliens and sci-fi craziness and superheroes and stuff like that. But it's it it can speak to you about things that are actually relevant to, to our lives. Absolutely. Um, like, the fact that it's also, like, a white Martian. And then you've got, like, the differences in color. So you, you've got, you know, a little bit of race in there as well. And the fact that, you know, David Harewood as a black man is playing this, this character against a white Martian that's coming after him. It's like, there's so many layers. And... That's really what made the story fascinating to me. Um, yeah, and I also, um, just on a family level with Jean, um, I thought it was interesting that he he mentions that he lost his wife and his daughters, plural. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a neat parallel because at the end of the episode, he refers to Kara and Alex as his daughters. Yeah. And um, mm-hmm. I liked that even if it was so hurtful to him in the past and how it basically ruined his life I think for a long time he's been alive for 317 years he's had all these experiences where he's had to hide who he is and all of that kind of thing and uh, he, he probably is scared of losing his his position at the DEO and he has probably been very isolated and lonely but 
here he is with Kara and Alex sort of in some ways regaining part of that life. Like he's not going to get his, his own daughters back, but maybe he can still have a family of some kind. And yeah. so I, I really liked that mention of them being his kind of surrogate daughters um, and that he, even though he lost so much, he's also gained a lot. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great point. And, and I, I did love that moment. And I, I love too the fact that Car uh, couldn't help but give him a big hug, like a big, like dorky hug. And then he's like, okay, that's enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back to business. But it was such a sweet moment. And, and even, you know, the scenes between him and Alex, like, because mm. he and Alex's, their bond has gotten so much stronger ever since he told her the truth about both about Jeremiah and about, um, you know, about himself and just watching their relationship grow as they've been working together now that they now that they both know the truth and and they can share that has been really amazing. And I think for Alex, it's probably really nice for her as well, because she gets a surrogate father. She gets mm-hmm. someone in her life who, who kind of fills that role for her. And I think there's even a line in the episode where Kara is talking about how like you have a hole in your heart, but sometimes you need to fill it. Yeah. And I think that's what both of them are doing. They, they've they lost people in their lives that they cared about and loved. And this is their chance to kind of fill that hole um, and maybe not replace those people, but kind of have a way to regain some things that they lost. Definitely. No, I, I loved all of that. And, and that was one of my, probably my favorite line in the whole episode was that line about, you know, I know that, that losing so much can leave a hole in your heart, but you can't fall into it. You need to fill it. Mm. And uh, getting back to, to Senator Crane for a second, because that character was so interesting, especially to me in an episode that Maxwell Lord was not in. Mm. It's like, so she's kind of the replacement Maxwell Lord for the episode in that she's the alien hater, right? right. Like she's, she's the replacement General Lane. She's that character. But to have a character that is able to switch their opinion on that right uh was really cool um to see what it could look like if you know general lane or maxwell lord actually stopped to think about the fact that hey supergirl saved you you know like clearly if you have this powerful alien they're trying to do good there must be others and so you can't just paint them all with one brush so i thought it was great that after seeing this <laughs> this actress playing this horrible you know, not, uh, like a horrible, almost kind of Donald Trumpish character in the beginning, <laughs> and then playing this horrible alien who is so racist, according to to Martians, and like hates and wants to eliminate all of the Green Martians. To see her then do a one eighty and be like, "Listen, I was wrong, and I need to reevaluate the information." And you know, because Supergirl saved my life, like that was really impressive. Oh, it's so refreshing for a senator to do that because yeah. <laughs> he, people in. In politics, in my opinion, sometimes are just fed by the people who are supporting them and maybe not sometimes doing what's in the best interest of the people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think it's rare um, in, in my in my experience with kind of following some some political things that you don't it's rare to see a senator kind of change their stance on something because they've maybe want, been won over by an argument or see something from a different perspective. So, yeah, that was kind of like, wow, a senator <laughs> changed her mind on this and, and was uh, standing up for the good aliens. So, yeah, I like that a lot. 
Well, let's uh, shift gears a little bit, and because uh, we talked about now the alien visitor, the strange visitor from another planet, um, but we also got a different kind of visitor in Adam Cat Grant's estranged son. Um, now, I know you have thoughts on this. You have emotions about this whole storyline, apparently. Um, so why don't we talk about that and talk about uh, how Kara tries to help the situation <laughs> between... Cat and Adam. Tries to help is such a nice way of putting it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I I was doing so well since Blood Bonds, um, since the episode where Kara intentionally deceives Cat Grant to make herself feel better. Like last week, I kind of recovered from that. I kind of had gotten over it, and uh, I'd started to like Supergirl again. And then in this week's episode... I thought what Kara did with the letter, like I know she was doing it because she had the right intentions. I know she was trying to help Kat. But what she did is a serious breach. <laughs> like <laughs> it is like Kat even says that Kara crossed a line and it's mm-hmm. just a total invasion of privacy that not only would she read the letter, I mean, sure, Kat threw it at you, but you don't have to read it. She right. reads the letter, then she falsifies words in the letter saying that they're cat's words then she sends the letter to adam and even Kara recognizes later in the episode she calls it illegal yeah and she's like well it's maybe maybe it's illegal maybe and uh, and also maybe completely insane and i was just like what is she doing and it actually makes me kind of uncomfortable in some respects because like when we saw the stuff in blood bonds she was sort of taking something away from Cat. She was taking away Cat's knowledge of something that Cat had earned the right to know. And here, Kara was pushing something onto her that maybe Kara shouldn't have been doing. Like she's she's sort of making decisions about Cat's life for her. And I don't know that I care for that too much. Uh, to be honest. And I know that Supergirl is a character, like we have talked about many times, that she's kind of brash and sometimes she doesn't yeah. think through things very mm-hmm. <laughs> very clearly. And so maybe this is in character for her. Yeah. But when I think about that kind of behavior from Supergirl, it's typically when she's having to make her own decisions or having to do something with her own life. But she's playing with two other people's lives. Like she's interfering with a relationship that has nothing to do with her. And um, I I thought that that was really unfair. Now, granted, it worked out in the end. It brought Kat and her son together. But I don't know that that was the appropriate thing to do. Maybe she could have said, hey, hey, Miss Grant, you know, I just happened to own your letter that she wrote to your son. Maybe it would be good if you reached out to him and I can help you write it. You know, I I know that's probably too nice of Supergirl to do, but I felt let down by Kara again in this episode. I don't know. It's funny that you mentioned that it seemed out of character for her to be doing things with other people's lives when, like, what just popped into my head was when she, you know, is dealing with Reactron in the comics and then, you know, promises a, a little kid that she's going to cure his cancer. True. Like, that's, you know, it's it's her brashness kind of always extends to other people, too, um, and making decisions for them whether like she'll save you whether you want her to or not like she will you know it's it's but I think 
I have less of a hard time with what she did. I mean, yeah, it was an invasion of privacy, her reading the letter. However, what makes me feel better about it is the fact that Kat did write the letters. She just never sent them. Well, and no, she, she, no, Kara finished the letter for her. No, 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 I, so, I understand yeah. that. But like, yeah. the, but she had written several. And like, this was one that, that Kara finished, yes. But like, these are letters that she had written you know, multiple times and never sent. And it was clear that the intention was to reach out somehow, but she couldn't bring herself to do it. And I think that while it totally wasn't her place to do, I'm not seeing it as quite the breach that you are, because I think that on some level, you know, after Kat got angry, she was also grateful because she did want to reach out. She just couldn't. And Sometimes people need a kick in the butt, so, and, and in this case, it was a huge kick in the butt, to do the thing that you know you need to do. And even still, like, it's funny that, you know, Kara, when, when they set up the dinner and everything, and Kara's uh, trying to tell her, hey, listen, just be honest, be open, be whatever. And, and Kat's like, I got this. I got this. I know I've, I've interviewed famous people. I know how to do this. And then she screws it up. And then she yells at Kara for not preparing her. I was like, but she tried to. You just didn't listen. So a lot of this was like Kara kind of acting on what Kat was trying to do but failing at. Well, um, first of all, I will rebut rebuttal your one point about uh, the kid with the cancer. Um, if I remember correctly, Superman admonished her for that. Um, he, he said, you know, basically, you can't do this. This is not something you should be doing. Um, right. but, but she did it, is what I'm saying. Like, yeah, that, yeah. Like, that's in character for her. <laughs> true, true, true. Um, but the thing I thought about with this episode is that, you know, previously we've talked about how Kat and Alex have been really pushy with the superpowered people and telling them what they should be doing and how they should be given space to kind of make their own decisions. Right. And I kind of felt like in this episode, I felt that way about Kara. She was being the really pushy one trying to get Kat to do something that she was clearly not ready for. Maybe, yeah. she, maybe she wanted to write those letters and maybe she wanted to reach out, but why is it Kara's decision for this is the time you need to do it this is how you're gonna do it like I kind of didn't appreciate that about what she did in that situation because yeah Kat might not have been ready and maybe she botched that first dinner with him because she hadn't prepared herself and it was just sprung on her and Adam just showed up so I I appreciate that Kara tried to fix it and I (laughs) I also kind of have problems with how Kara tried to fix it because she tells Kat that, you know, if I was talking to my mother, I would want my mother to be honest. And I was like, well, that's rich that you of all people are talking about being honest with somebody. But, you know, I understand that she's trying to help and I understand that she's trying to do the right thing. But then at the same time, she is saying all these glowy things about Kat. Um, She like defends Kat saying, oh, she's amazing at her job and she's great as a person. She's a badass and she's an inspiring person and a hero. And in some ways she is a supergirl. And I just kept thinking, yeah, that's great that you're saying all these things. And yes, I agree with you, Kara. But you also think these things, but then didn't trust Kat with your secret. And I right. I just, I have problems with that. And I think my issue since Blood Bonds is that they seem to want to reset their relationship. And I was 
you know, I got over it and I was fine with it during the Toy Man episode. Like I was like, okay, we're back to square one. I get it. Fine. But now they're trying to go back to where they were before Blood Bonds, where they were close and Kat was kind of her surrogate mother and all of this kind of thing. And I'm like, I don't know if I feel like you can do that now because yeah. now I don't feel like this is genuine anymore because because of what Kara did. And I, so I just I struggle with trying to find the line of what's OK and what's not OK. Yeah. I mean, it's it is it is very uneven. Um, cause, cause yeah, on the one hand she, uh, and this is not just in this episode, this is in, in all the episodes since the show started, she'll go back and forth between having huge amounts of respect for Kat and then rolling her eyes every time Kat says something because, you know, she's like, oh, she's so hard on me. Oh, she, this, that, and that. Cause you know, Kat is a very difficult person to deal with. Um, it's interesting because I had a similar relationship with a, a female boss of mine where there were times, you know, it felt like she was grooming me and she wanted me to to kind of succeed and do well. And there were times when we were like genuine friends and we would, you know, go out for happy hour and whatnot. And then there were times when she would just do a 180 and, and, and say and do things that I was like, how, why are you talking to me like this? And it would piss me off. Um, and I would like hate her in that moment because I'd be like, oh my God, shut up. Like, so I kind of understand how you could feel both of those things at the same time for somebody um, where you like, yeah, you're their friend a lot of the time and you respect them. But then there's a, a part of you that always like is waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so you can't fully trust that person because you don't know if they're going to do a 180. So you're kind of preparing for anything to change. And I, and I agree with you in the sense of um, I, I totally disagreed with with uh, Kat not being told, let in on her secret. I thought that was a huge mistake on, on Kara's part. However, I do think it's like true to character. And I think that Kara is flawed and, and that doesn't make her less of a hero. It means she's still I mean, this is honestly her like humanity, uh, for lack of a better word, um, kind of filtering through and that, yeah, she does make mistakes. Um, oh, actually what I was going to bring up, haha, was the, uh, the parallel between her situation with Kat and kind of pushing for that relationship to happen with her situation with Wynn, because Wynn only appears twice in this episode, two times by the elevators. And the first time is really awkward because she says she hates, you know, that they can't just go back space, space and time. time. Yeah. yeah. She hates that they can't go back to what they had before. And they can't. She's trying to force it though, and you can't do that. So it takes the situation with Kat and the trying to like force that to make her realize that like, oh crap, maybe I can't force people to have relationships they're not ready to have. So the next time she sees Win, it's like, oh, got it now. Like <laughs> I've kind of learned that I need to give people space and time to do things. So I think this whole episode was about kind of Kara learning that. And yeah, she stuck her nose in where she didn't have to. But in the end, it was good for Kat because now Kat has this relationship with her son. Um, and we see that Kat, like, despite Kara taking this hugely inappropriate step, that she still thinks highly of Kara because she does kind of play wing woman to Kara and Adam going out. I, and I was looking for the doubt on her face at first and there was like no doubt. She was like, oh my God, yeah. Like you two should totally get together, um, which I kind of loved. I love that like, that their relationship is still such that, you know, when it comes to 
her own son, she would like nothing more than for Kara and and Adam to get together. And she's like, no, you're free. Um, you're <laughs> yeah, totally you're, free. you're available. Um, so I kind of liked that. I, I like that their relationship is complicated. And while I hate that Kat can't know, because I feel like that would add such a rich layer to their relationship, I do like that it's kind of up and down. Because that's how life is, you know? Like, even even with our mentors, even with our, you know, people that we love and respect – it's not always perfect and it's not, you know, we make mistakes and, and she reamed her out for it at first, you know, she was like, listen, uh, you, you totally overstepped and you're fired. Yeah, I, I actually really appreciate that they let Kat be upset about that. Like she was ticked. Mm-hmm. She was like, and she fired her. She yeah, legit fired her in that moment. Without hesitation. She was like, you've gone through my stuff. You did something you shouldn't have. You're fired. And I really did appreciate that they let her be like legit angry, yelling at her because Even as much as I do agree that some of this is very in character for Supergirl and for Kara, and that, yes, she was trying to do the right thing, but I also think that Kat had every right to be upset about it. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I also agree that, yeah, relationships are like this. Sometimes we do things that are great with each other, and sometimes we do things that frustrate each other. Um, That's just the nature of humanity. But I guess I just... I don't know. Sometimes I feel like Cat has more respect for Kara than Kara does for Cat, and I think in that it's a little bit unbalanced. Yeah, Kat, yeah, yeah. Kara says a lot of glowy things about Cat sometimes to other people, but she doesn't treat her in that way. Whereas, yeah, Cat gets totally ticked at Kara for what she did, but then she's like, you know what? You're a good assistant. You've done uh, well for me when I've needed you. Yeah, you can go out with my son. That's totally fine. I'm cool with that. So I, I guess I just would would like to see Kara go back to um, maybe trying to <laughs> respect Kat's boundaries a little more. That's all. Well, yeah, no. And Well, the thing is, though, too, we got to remember that Kat, you know, you, you say that Kat respects her more than she respects Kat. And the thing is, like, Kat's older, you know, like Kara is still young. She's still young and dumb. Like she's in her twenties. <laughs> she's making mistakes right and left. And yeah, when you're, when you're in your twenties, you always think that you're smarter than your boss. You're like, oh, like you wouldn't be able to use the copy machine if I didn't do all this for you. <laughs> like you wouldn't be able to, to use, you know, whatever. Like, <laughs> and I remember like talking crap about bosses when I was in my twenties all the time. Cause I thought I was so smart and they don't know anything. And when I'm in charge, I'm never going to be like this and blah, blah, blah. And you know, I, I love that Kara's not immune to that, that she's, you know, she's being dumb and in her 20s. And yeah, she probably a lot of the time thinks that, you know, I mean, she she looks at, at Kat with an eye roll because she's like, oh, here she goes again, being all difficult. But I think that that's kind of normal for her age and her position at Catco and all of that. Like, whereas Kat can kind of see beyond Kara's stupidity because she has that experience, you know, like she can see past these little mistakes because she sees the potential in Kara and what Kara can become. And that's because she's older and she's wiser and, and can possibly see herself in Kara in some ways. So, yeah, I mean, I totally listen. She screwed up. Like, there's no doubt that she screwed up. But I don't I, I guess I kind of don't see that as a negative on the character necessarily, because I feel like 
like Supergirl needs to screw up, you know, like it, I think a big problem with writing superheroes is that sometimes like we make them too perfect. We make them too heroic to the point where they become unrelatable. And this seemed like something that a lot of well-meaning people might have done, you know, and, and yes, it's an overstep, but it's it's, uh, you know, at least coming from a good place and it's not trying to hurt Kat. It's not trying to affect her life negatively. It's it's just the wrong way to go about doing it. I think my problem with it right now is that just, what, two episodes ago, she had this other huge breach in Kat's, uh, you know, Kat's ability to make decisions for herself. And so it's like a little too close to what happened in Blood Bonds. Like maybe if this had been a thing that happened five episodes from now, maybe I would have been like, well, they've, they've had some good ups and downs or whatever. But it's like, within a a span of a few episodes that Kara has yet done this again. So I think, I think that's where I'm kind of having the, the, the problem with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I can see that. I think though, that for me, like I wouldn't connect those two only because like with her kind of, you know, returning the secrecy to her identity um, and convincing Kat that she was wrong with the stuff with Adam, that was very clearly making a decision about Kat's life. Like, it was very clearly interfering in a relationship that was solely Kat's. But with the other thing, you know, she has a right to have people know her secret or not know her secret. And while I wish she would put faith in Kat, at the same time, she has a right to protect her identity from whoever she wants. Like, that's a decision about her life that she's making. And yes, Kat figured it out, but you know what? That doesn't that doesn't mean that she gets to know, you know, like just because she was smart enough to figure it out doesn't mean that she gets to have that automatically. Like she won some prize because it's not her prize to win. It's Kara's secret. It's Kara's life. Kara gets to decide who gets to know. Um, I think she should tell Kat. I think it, it's kind of dumb not to tell Kat, especially since you work with her so closely um, and you, you know, you want her to be on your side in all things. But like, that was a decision about herself, whereas this one was very clearly get meddling in Kat's life. And that's where I think the overstep really is. Um, you know, you say, like, Kat wasn't ready. And I think part of the point that Kara was trying to make is that, okay, well, this this has been a thing for 20 years. Like, if you're not ready, if, if in 20 years you're not ready, then you're just going to go one more year and one more year and one more year until it will be too late. So it's like sometimes, uh, like, yes, she might not have been ready, but then in that case, she probably will never be ready. And that will be a huge regret that she will live with forever. Um, it's not like this just, it's not like she just got estranged from her kid like a couple years ago. It's like 20 good years of, of her like kind of vacillating. And that that's why ultimately Kat appreciated the push because she knew that she would like likely never be ready for this. And she never would have done something otherwise had Kara not intervened. But, so, I mean, do we know that for sure? I mean, nobody knows that for sure. Kat probably doesn't know that for sure. But, like, there's 20 years of experience to say that she – I mean, 20 years is a long time. Like, if you're going that long, it's like – it's not like she was going to be ready tomorrow, you know? Like, it's 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 like how much time do you really want to let go before you do something about something like that? But then I also – don't think it's Kara's decision to make the the determination when Kat is ready for it. So I guess that ultimately is is my problem. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I, I see that. And so, like, and it's so hard to like, because I, I mean, I'm sure you've had friends that like you see them making the wrong decision and you want to say something and you know, or they're dating the wrong person and you're like, oh, I hate this person. But like, <laughs> you can't say anything because it's like, well, it's there. Ultimately, if they want to ruin their lives and have this relationship with this horrible person, I can't step in and be like, the person you're dating is horrible. And um, because then they'll just not be your friend anymore. So then you keep your mouth shut. And then when something happens, you're like, I knew it all along, you know? <laughs> um, and I guess Kara didn't want to, like, let it get that far before. Like, she didn't want to have to, you know, ever kind of feel like, you know, I told you so. Um, I would just like to see Supergirl in the future talk it out with somebody. You know, we, yeah. talk, we talk about it so much on the podcast about when she's facing a villain, she will try to speak it out first. That she will mm-hmm. try to communicate with them before she throws some punches. Well, let's transfer that over to her relationship with Kat, because I would appreciate that very much. But, oh, yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any more thoughts about this letter thing, but uh, can we talk about Adam, just specifically Adam and Kat? Yeah, totally. Because I know I, I felt like I was getting a little negative. But Which I, we can do. Some, we're, not, we're not here to, you know, please everybody. We're, we're, we're not here to be we're, honest. We're not here to make friends. <laughs> yeah, we're um, here to compete, no? <laughs> <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed <coughs> seeing Adam uh, come into Kat's life because I don't know what the nature of their relationship was other than the dad took him away and Kat was sending him, like, financial help. I think that's all we knew of their relationship. Yeah. Um, and I was I was wondering, like, is is this the first time they've had, like, a face-to-face? Like, I, I wasn't real clear on that. Yeah, it seems like she hasn't seen him since he was, like, little, like five or six. Okay. And, um, I mean, that's the impression I got. Okay. And, and I think she – because she talks about how she never got to read him stories and she never got to, like, be his mom. So she, I think the, the last time she saw him was when he was very, very young. Um yeah, I, I love, too, like, how honest their relationship felt in that, you know, you could tell, like, it was palpable how much he wished his mom were in his life, you know? He wanted his mom to be in his life. But at the same time, he was carrying around, you know, 20 years' worth of anger. And it was like, hey, you just let dad take me away and didn't fight for me, didn't whatever. And I thought it was interesting when Kat said, um, I wouldn't have been a good mother, like, because at that time she was so career fo- focused that she knew that she wouldn't be good for him. She wouldn't be there for him. Whereas, like now with uh, Carter, she's able to be a mom because she's accomplished right. what she wanted to accomplish with her career. And I thought that was such a vulnerable thing to admit. But it, it reminded me of I have I know a couple of people who have who are both adopted children and uh, friends of mine who've given up uh, children for adoption, and it's such. Like, it's very similar to me here in this case because she was almost letting her ex-husband take Adam away willingly because she knew she would not be there for him the way he needed. Mm -hmm. And so it's like the way somebody gives their child up for adoption knowing that they will have a better life with somebody else. But that's still so painful for the mom, uh, for a birth mom to, like, have to give up their child. And then your your circumstances change and you wish you could just take the kid back, but you can't at that point because it's already like you made the decision to let them go. Now it's like, well, now they have that better life that you wanted for them. So even though now your situation has changed, that still doesn't take back the decision you had to make years ago. Um, so I, I, I thought that was very real and very um, 
cool to see Kat kind of be that vulnerable and be that um, honest for for the first time. And to watch her struggle against being honest, too, because (laughs) she she was not like she kept talking about, you know, me. Oh, when I was talking to to Bill Gates about the iPhone, like I like (laughs) whatever, like I pretty much invented technology or whatever. (laughs) Like she's just like talking out of her butt. Um, Probably. I, I mean, she's probably telling a true story, but it's all about her and how wonderful she is. And to cover up the fact that she's in pain. And <laughs> there were times when I wanted to kind of, you know, and I get it because he's angry about being abandoned and that's totally understandable for a kid to feel that way. But at the same time, I kind of wanted to slap him a little bit because it's like he's an adult now and on some level he must know that Kat is trying, but he's like not giving her a chance to try. It's like, like you know, he sees that she's talking about herself. She's clearly not used to being very emotional in front of people. Um, especially since they have been estranged. So I kind of wish that, you know, since he came there to talk to her, that he would be like a little more kind of understanding of that. But he has his own issues. So it's, you know, (laughs) who knows? Yeah, I like your point that he had every right to be upset from his perspective um, and that he was dealing with this for, you know, however long it was. But Kat, on the other hand, I think she was just she wasn't angry so much as she was kind of filled with regret. Mm-hmm. And I like that there are two sides to that equation. And I also like um your point about how uh, well I I would expand on your thought about how she was uh, struggling to be honest. I think she was honest, but I think the the in in my opinion the way I would go about talking about that is that she she was struggling to be open and I guess you could say open and honest but um I think to to be putting herself out there and be and like you said be vulnerable and I what I enjoyed about Callista's performance in this episode is that um when she you know she's in cat code she's in the office mode she's you know she's the <laughs> the HBIC, you know, she is, yeah, yeah. she is running the show. And then when she sees Adam in her office, she immediately softens up and she mm-hmm. becomes Adam's mom. And mm-hmm. I thought that was a very uh, nice kind of tonal shift to her personality. And I really appreciated that out of, out of her acting there. And I, as much as I loved the Martian Manhunter stuff and as much as I was affected by that and moved by it, the stuff with Kat got me teary-eyed. That, yeah. that, that dialogue that she tells him, you had mentioned it uh, previously, she says, I never got to put a picture that you'd drawn on the fridge. I never got to tell you stories. And I never got to teach you how not to be afraid of the world. And I, that it was that last one that I was just like, <laughs> um. Just because, like, I guess I, you know, I can't relate to uh, being a a survivor or a victim of a Holocaust, let's say, with Martian Manhunter. There's there parts of Martian Manhunter story that I can't relate to, Mm -hmm. but I can relate to maybe being separated from a parent in terms of like, you know, my father died in 2006. I was 25 years old. and, And granted, that's. You know, I, I've, I've had friends who their parents passed away when they were, you know, 11 or 17 or something. So I'm, I count myself as very fortunate that I was sort of a grown adult uh, when he passed away. Um, 
but at the same time, there were times after that happened where I was like, you know, I wish my dad was here when mm -hmm. I bought my first house. You know, I wish my dad was here so I could, um, you know, go see this movie with him or talk about this piece of music or celebrate my first raise. You know, those kinds of things were like, there are times where I wish he was still here so that I could celebrate those things or that he could continue to teach me lessons. So in some respects, I could sort of, even though it wasn't an adoptive thing, you know, my, you know, my connection with my dad was biological, but at the same time, I could sort of relate to the missing part, you know, the missing yeah. piece in their relationship. And so I think that's kind of what got me really emotional about that. And so I, I liked that moment for Kat because she was she was open. She was saying how she really felt. And I was very glad for her as a character to be able to put herself in a situation where she could do that. The parts of the Martian Manhunter story that I was able to relate to the most was when he talked about his wife and daughter. Right. It was when actually the 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 scene that that really brought me to tears was when uh, Jean is telling Alex about, you know, basically his survivor's guilt. Mm. And Alex is telling him, you know, you don't, you know, have to feel guilty. If they had survived, you wouldn't want them to feel guilty about about being alive. And and just the helplessness that that Alex felt about because really, I do think that that Jean is becoming more of a father figure to her. And to watch your dad cry right. or be sad is mm -hmm. is really like because uh, you know and and when my dad was you know alive and and his his mother died and it was the first time I'd ever seen my dad cry and it was the worst because this was somebody I never had seen cry before and all of a sudden like and and you never feel more helpless than when the person that you thought was invincible is like crying in front of you and you're right. like I don't even know what to do so yeah like the 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 parent child relationships in this totally spoke to me in in a similar way um and yeah, and, and it's funny because I hadn't thought about it until <laughs> right this second because um, you mentioned your dad and um, I think you know too that like my dad passed away in, in 2014, my mom passed away in 2006 mm. and yeah, I was an adult, you know, I was in my mid-20s when my, my mom passed away and, and my dad in my 30s but like, yeah, there is that that loss of like, it erases the future mm. times you have with them, right. you know, like it, uh, whereas Kat, you know, now has the future. Right. She, she didn't have the past, but now she has that future. And I felt that loss that she felt of, of those missing years, but then also the, the joy of being able to, to rekindle that relationship. And I think that's, that might be another reason why I f am more forgiving of Kara and what she did, because I understand from Kara's perspective, like, if she would have that chance, she would jump on it. Like, if she could have her mother back somehow, she would do whatever she could. She would take that opportunity. And so it must have been so frustrating for her to watch Kat not take that opportunity when she had it. And so, like, I, I to feel that joy for Kat and also for, for Jean um, to have Kara and Alex in his life. Um, it's not bringing his daughters back, like you said, but it, it is allowing for him to fill that hole in his heart with a similar relationship that, that can also provide that kind of love and understanding. And yeah, it's, <laughs> I think that's why both, both of those kind of like father, daughter and uh, mother, son relationships really spoke to me even more than the, the genocide aspect, you know, like yeah. the, um, for those reasons, like it's very relatable. And I think that's 
I mean, whenever you hear any kind of a story that's as big as like, you know, any kind of oppression or Holocaust or anything like it's not it's like too big to be real to you until you distill it down to like one person. Right. So like, yeah, it's like white Martians killing the green, all the green Martians in a big genocide like that says nothing to me. John Jones losing his wife and daughters, that says something to me. Right, yeah. Um, so it's like that's the stuff that really just ugh, knocked me out. And the same thing with Kat. Like I think the one thing, and, and I guess we can go into kind of our overall thoughts about the episode and wrap it up, because I think what Supergirl has been doing really well, like increasingly well as the episodes go on, in my opinion, is making the story of the episode be – very personal to the characters. Whereas like when the show started, it was very much like, oh, here's this outside threat. Supergirl has to stop it. Like, and here's another outside threat that really is kind of inconsequential. You know, Supergirl saves the day again, but there was no real personal connection. Whereas now everything is so personal. And so like a white Martian comes and it's directly connected to Hank. Uh, Toy Man shows up and it's a direct connection to Win. And really what this episode made me think about is we need more stuff for James Olsen to do. Yeah. I am so – like even now Wynn has so much more weight because of what happened with Toy Man. And those two scenes in the elevator, like he, he – like even though it's, it's just two scenes, but he got to like act the crap out of them because we know what's going on with him. And so it's, it has so much more weight. Whereas like James, it's like give him something of substance to do. Like I know he's getting back to his photojournalism and that's great. But like they haven't really given him anything meaty yet. And I just want there to be like a James episode that has nothing to do with his feelings about Kara, nothing to do with Lucy. It's just him dealing with some stuff. <laughs> um, so yeah, overall I think I really enjoyed this episode. I think the episodes are getting progressively better and I love how – personal story this was for everybody involved i agree i thought this episode was good despite my um <laughs> problems with that stupid like letter you, you just want to slap kara upside her uh, head <laughs> here's my problem so we're talking about these family issues where like you know we the, the the big thing that i took away from this episode that we previously mentioned and i'll try to wrap this up in my overall thoughts uh that you if you have a hole in your heart Sometimes, you know, try to try to fill it because otherwise you're just going to have that hole forever. Well, when we're talking about how Hank, you know, has this father daughter relationship with Alex and Kara and Kat has this uh, reconnection with her son. Well, they keep mentioning Kara and her mother, Kara and her mother, Kara and her mother. Well, why don't they try to develop like and I think they had for the first what nine episodes developed this relationship with Kat as trying to treat it as a maternal uh, relationship for Kara. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't understand. I guess I'm butting heads with the character of Kara because I don't understand why she doesn't pursue that. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like she would be happier if she tried to be closer to Kat. And for some reason, that just keeps getting, you know, pulled together and pushed away. And I, I don't, I, I guess, Kara <laughs> frustrates me, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, I thought this was a great episode. Um, it even did some neat things where it sort of mentioned things that maybe could happen in the future. Like one of the things I was like, oh, that's an interesting thought is when Hank mentions that if, if the, if the, well, Jean mentions that if the Hank Henshaw identity ever went away from him, that General Lane would get control of the DEO. And I was like, ooh, 
what if that happened? Yeah. That would be really interesting. So yeah. there, there are things that I think they even kind of maybe threw in there to, to ask the what if. And so there are some of those kind of things, you know, like the James situation, you know, him being out in the field with the camera, like, you know, to pursue those things. I, I want to kind of, you know, push some of those ideas out there. So I, I like the episode, even though I had qualms with a few of the aspects of it. Well, I mean, we've talked a lot about this episode. Uh, I think we can end our discussion there. But uh, let's find out what some of our listeners had to say about Strange Visitor from Another Planet. At Call Me Topes tweeted, hashtag Martian feels and brawls. And I, <laughs> I guess we never did talk about the awesome action sequences. There were a lot of <laughs> oh, great, my God. There were a lot of uh, great fight sequences. I mean, the fact that Supergirl and Martian Manhunter were teaming up to fight a white Martian in the air that yeah, was pretty that looked, awesome. Looked amazing. I and I yeah, I should have brought that up because that was one of my favorite things about that whole thing. And there's Kara again doing what she's not supposed to be doing. <laughs> Hank told her to stay behind and she's like, "No, I'm going to save you anyway." So she shows up, but like it ends up being this amazing tag team fight and uh yeah, it looked awesome and amazing. So shout out to the special effects department over at uh Supergirl. In all fairness, I was glad that Supergirl disobeyed someone's request in that case, because <laughs> I, <was glad, laughs> I was glad she came in to help him out. Um, well, at Mike Schmidt 9 tweeted, another great episode tonight. I love the character art we are getting with Martian Manhunter. David Harewood is killing it. Indeed. At E. Eel Perrin tweeted, nice to see Jean's background explored. Hope to see Kat, Lucy, Alex, and Kara's thought processes more, or processes more. At Mr. J's comic review tweeted, this episode was a battle of the hashtag super feels. But mm. I've got to say the winner of that battle for me is the Kara Jean hug. Mm. At JLSW tweeted, the action was great, and I loved that Kara was the one giving support to two people that have helped her a lot. And those two people would be Kat and Hank. Mm -hmm. uh, at Brie Quinn 23 tweeted, Kat and Kara and Adam scenes were amazing. Martian Manhunter scene with Alex were, was so emotional. And then that ending, again with the ending. Yes. Epic. We didn't talk about that at all, but um, next week's episode is titled Bizarro. So I think we know where this is going. <laughs> and and fascinatingly enough to me is that she looked like Melissa Benoist. Yeah, somebody um, got a facelift. <laughs> yeah, the, the actress we know is a totally different person. Um, if we're going by the, the chick in Maxwell Lord's custody, um, she's a totally different actress and she doesn't look like Melissa Benoist. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, at is high on life tweeted Kat and Jean both knocked it out of the park on tonight's episode. Also, I was surprised by how good Adam was tonight. And I thought Blake Jenner did a, a nice job. He had some good moments there with Callista. Yeah. Um, I'm actually looking forward to seeing him as an, a recurring character as well. Um, I thought he was, he was interesting and he had just the right amount of like bite and like, you know, uh, jadedness like over his mom and like the cute flirty stuff with, with Kara. I think it was a nice balance. He did a good job. Right. A little natural chemistry there, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, at Madtown, Davidson tweeted, terrific episode. Great performance by David Harewood, though Kara needs to work on boundaries. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Preach it. Yeah, she does. Um, at Gleek Speak Radio tweeted, awesome episode. Really looking forward to seeing the relationship with Kara and Adam development. Their chemistry is hot. 
<laughs> at Ryan, oh, I'm sorry if I butcher this. Uh, Ryan E. Layman 239 tweeted, it was awesome. Loved how we got to see Blake Jenner. A lot of Blake Jenner fans. Um, at K. Dawson 424 tweeted, the writing and acting in this episode was both gut-wrenching and flawless. Blown away. At Kid X70811 tweeted, so far it's the best one. At Yvonne Yvissers tweeted, tonight's episode rocked. At Anakin Flores tweeted, the episode was great. And at Mightiest Cast tweeted, episode was fire, I guess, with the uh, emoticons. <laughs> it was there. fire. <laughs> uh, great action, great emotional moments, amazing performance from Harewood. Best episode of the season, in my opinion. And at Dwayne LB tweeted, this show has found its rhythm. Yeah. Or actually, that might be Dwayne I.B. Dwayne I.B. I'm sorry if I totally mispronounced that. It's sort of hard to tell with yeah, the letters. A, so Exactly. Either way, uh, um, that person thought the show has found its rhythm. Well, we also have an email from Camilla who asks, quote, why didn't Kara just why didn't Kara, excuse me, uh, just ask Clark about Kat thinking she's Supergirl? Um, it's interesting because it, it's true. Like she, she IMs him about everything else. Like why wouldn't she say, Hey, what do you think about me telling Kat? Um, cause, cause clearly there's a history there. Uh, Kat did work for the Daily Planet. You know, he and Lois both know Kat Grant, uh, and what she might be capable of and not capable of. If you were having suspicious feelings about her and whether or not to tell her, it might make sense to go to people who actually have known her for a while. We have an email from Martin who writes, quote, I'm holding out hope that they can get Linda Carter as a guest star. General Lane and the DEO have a relationship with the White House, and I'd love to see the former Wonder Woman play the president as a callback to the Miss Magazine cover. Smallville got Christopher Reeve, The Flash got Mark Hamill, so it seems plausible to get Linda Carter on Supergirl, unquote. Um, I think that's a cool idea. Um, it's interesting because I recently read something with Linda Carter where she said she didn't want to be in the Wonder Woman movie if she yeah. if she was just going to be like a cameo. Um, you know, I think in her words and her viewpoint, she would rather have something because somebody wanted her for the part instead of just oh, I'm the former Wonder Woman, and that's a that's a perfectly reasonable thing um, for her to decide to be about. Uh, but I mean, if if they could get her on, that would that would be awesome. Yeah, totally. I mean, and I think, you know, yeah, it would have to be like a meaty enough part for her to want to do it. Because um, obviously, like Mark Hamill, you know, like everybody kind of knows him as Luke Skywalker, but he's definitely moved past that because, you know, now people think the Joker. People mm -hmm. think, you know, I mean, he's done so many awesome acting roles aside from that, that like, yes, you think Luke Skywalker, but you also think of these other cool things that he continues to do. So um, and I would, would love to see Linda Carter do something awesome. And Mark Hamill also had ties to The Flash. He was the trickster on the original Flash TV series. So that's, right, kind, of, right. that's kind of how he came into The Flash. And I personally would want them to maybe try to dive back into the Supergirl mythos. I don't know. Is Faye Dunaway still alive? I think she is. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. If we're going to get anybody, I mean, I don't know if I'd want Faye Dunaway for the president. <laughs> um, I would want her more as, you know, a little bit of a villain. But, I mean, that that would be like my 
person I would want to see on the show. But um, who knows? Maybe they'll try to dip dip into the uh, DC live action mythos. You know, I've seen people want Allison Mack to show up on the show. You know, those kinds of things where, you know, anybody could show up. Actually, we have a uh, or kind of fun question from a listener named Andy. Um, not to be confused with uh, Andy over at the Flash podcast. <laughs> Um, who asks, quote, uh, what is your favorite Supergirl-related song? If you don't have one, may I offer a suggestion? Supergirl featuring Jesse Pio uh, by Samantha Mark. Uh, a couple of years ago, I tried to make a Superman playlist. So huh. I started kind of finding a few things like this. Of course, I, I love the Princess Diaries movie. I, I, Well, the movies. I don't care if anybody else thinks they're cheesy. I love it. It's got Anne Hathaway and the queen of everything, Julie Andrews. So hate them all you want, but I love the Princess Diaries movies. <laughs> and um, in that movie, there's a, a song called Supergirl, titled Supergirl, and it's uh, by Crystal Harris. So if you're into songs about Supergirl, that, that's one. Um, I also would recommend a song called Brainiac's Daughter. And the version that I have is uh, from a band called Royal. And it's I think it's from this like compilation called Sound of Superman. This is one of the songs that I found when I was doing my Superman playlist. And it's not so much about Supergirl, but it has a lot of things associated with Supergirl in the song. It talks about, uh, you know, definitely talks about Brainiac, who is often associated with Supergirl in really great ways, uh, like we've talked about on this podcast, where he kind of affects Supergirl's life and, and her past on Krypton. Um, it also talks about the bottle city of Kandor, which is also sometimes associated with Supergirl, that she's gone into Kandor and some of the stuff we've read. And it also references the Daily Planet, which makes me super happy. <laughs> so, um, And it's a fun song. Like, if you listen to it, it's a really fun song. Um, and there's all sorts of... you. If you go to iTunes and look up Supergirl, you're going to find all sorts of songs that are titled Supergirl. The Gen Blossoms have one. Um, Hilary Duff also has a song called Supergirl, which is actually kind of fun. Um, if you want to go the route of songs that are associated with the TV show, there were songs like Fight Song, Fight Song performed by Rachel Platten. I love that song. It is a good song. And Confident uh, by Demi Lovato, which was also used in the marketing of the show. And if you wanted to even go a little further... There's a song about James Olsen, or Jimmy Olsen in this case, uh, called Jimmy Olsen's Blues by the Spin Doctors. Mm, yeah. Um, that's an awesome song. It's one of my favorites. But I, I don't think Lucy on the show would like it very much because the whole song, the whole premise of the song is about how Jimmy Olsen wants to hook up with Lois Lane. So I don't think Lucy would like that very much. But if anybody else has any, if any of the listeners have any song suggestions for Andy, tweet us at Supergirl Radio, and maybe somebody will try to start a Supergirl playlist. Yeah. Or maybe, you know, we should start one on Spotify and just like do the Supergirl radio, Supergirl radio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I like that. Um, actually, it's funny because when uh, listening to all these songs and, and when uh, Andy asked the question, uh, I thought of this great song that I always loved from the Legally Blonde soundtrack called One Girl Revolution um, oh, yeah, by a band called Super Chick. Yeah, and, I love Super Chick. I've actually seen Super Chick in a uh, concert. I totally oh, recommend yeah. them. So good. And yeah, they have that um, that line, the super doesn't stand for model, but that doesn't mean I'm plain. I love that yeah. song. So yeah, if you want to add that to your playlist as well. All right, we, great- will, we will add that to the Supergirl Radio, Supergirl Radio playlist. <laughs> um, and if you're interested in knowing more, more about the story that we previously talked about, um, in our last episode about how Mort Weisinger had vetoed having Lois Lane know about Clark Kent's secret identity, our listener Red Five, who had emailed us about that, 
actually got back to us and did some digging, and he uh, informed us that the story was actually called The K-Metal from Krypton, and that's exactly what I remember seeing about many, many, many years ago. So thank you, Red5, for getting back with that uh, that information in the email. Um, so we'll send that out through the podcast if you're if you're wanting to check that out. Well, if you want to contact Supergirl Radio, you can email us at supergirlradio at gmail.com. You can post a comment on our website at supergirlradio.com. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram, all at Supergirl Radio. And we are available on iTunes and Stitcher. So if you've got some time, we encourage you to give us a rating and write us a review. Um, And big thanks to Superfan73 for leaving us a review on iTunes. And we are a part of the DC TV podcast circle. So if you also like Gotham, Arrow, The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and DC movies, subscribe to our DC TV podcast mega feed and follow at DC TV podcasts on Twitter and like DC TV podcasts on Facebook. And uh, as for me, you can find all of my social media and all, you know, pretty much everywhere you can find me on the internet at my website, which is TeresaGesino.com. And that's T-E-R-E-S-A. Don't be putting any H's in my name. Um, Also, uh, definitely check out my Patreon page as well. Um, That's Patreon.com slash TeresaGesino. I'm actually going to be starting to release... uh, segments of a longer piece that I'm working on um, to patrons exclusively. Um, So if you want some quality new fiction in your life, uh, now would be a great time to check out my Patreon page. And if you'd like to be a patron uh, and would like to get some writing from me on the fiction side of things, definitely check that out. Um, If you're more interested in my nonfiction, as always, you can find me at the Mary Sue. That's the Mary Sue.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Derby kid. That's D E R B Y K I D and watch videos. I've shot and edited on my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash duck milk prod. That's D U C K M I L K P R O D. And eventually when I have time, (laughs) I will be putting up some new videos, finishing up my five K training Uh, Oh, yeah. uh, Sequence of events. I I think I'm going to wrap that up. I'm going to still run, but I'm wrapping up the videos because I've come full circle with the Star Wars 5K. And uh, I'm eventually going to do a a Disneyland Warner Brothers Los Angeles video. And I've still got um, videos from Chicago and and things like that. So uh, (laughs) hopefully you'll see new content from me in the coming weeks. Uh, But you can always go uh, back and look at all of my previous videos there on my YouTube channel. And uh, if you want to stick around for a quick spoiler section about next week's episode of Supergirl, we'll be doing that after the theme music, as usual. But until next time, I'm still Rebecca Johnson. And I'm still Teresa Giacino. Remember that sometimes it's easier to face the past. With a little help.
What is Supergirl? Very bad. What do we do to bad? And we're back. And uh, what you just heard was the audio for what's coming up on Supergirl. Uh, The next episode is called, as we said, Bizarro. The official description says, quote, Kara faces off against her mirror image when Bizarro, played by Hope Lauren, a twisted version of Supergirl sets out to destroy her. Also, Kara grows closer with Kat's son, Adam, played by Blake Jenner, unquote. So, Teresa, what in this episode description excites you the most? I mean, bizarro girl. Um, (laughs) I mean, that's kind of something we've been waiting for, like, with bated breath for a while. Um, And I'm curious because they say that Hope Lauren is playing bizarro, um, but the the new Supergirl at the end of this this week's episode – clearly had Kara's face. So either they're doing something with, you know, maybe there's like a hologram over her face or something. Um, And every time she's out in public, she looks like Supergirl. Or maybe Maxwell Lord surgically altered her face to look like Supergirl, but the physical body is Hope Lauren. I have no idea. So I'm looking forward to seeing how the heck they're going to do this (laughs) and make this happen. Yeah, I'm actually really relieved that the bizarro that we saw at the end of Strange Visitor from Another Planet actually looked like Melissa Benoist, because that's what I was kind of like, I don't know that I like another chick playing bizarro girl. I kind of wanted it to be Melissa Benoist versus Melissa Benoist. But uh, we'll see how it plays out, because uh, like you said, I don't know how they're doing this with another actress but also looking like Melissa Benoist. But I'm, I'm very excited uh, to see Bizarro Girl and see how Kara deals with her. Well, thank you all for listening, and we will be back with another episode discussion next time on Supergirl Radio.